The wait is over. Four, three, two, one, zero. Warning! Warning! This is. This is. Eric and Gord, what if we're right? Listening just got better. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Into the behavior you want, whether it's in a relationship, as I found in The Truth About Marriage, or whether you're a salesperson trying to sell a car to somebody, or a house. There are... For example, I'll give you an example. One of the things that um, salespeople use, psychologists call it a fixed action pattern. When a, Let's say you go to a car lot and you want to buy a car and the car salesman says, if I can get you that car today at that price, would you take it? And you say, well, maybe. And so well, follow me. And he turns around and walks into the office. And one of the things that Reggie in the movie teaches a salesman is that when you say that, when you get to a point after the test drive, generally you say, well, can I, if, if I can get you this car for this price, would you take it today? No matter what they say, you turn around, you say, follow me, and you turn around. And you don't look back because then they will follow you into your office. If you turn around and look at them, it's like the spell is broken and they'll stop. Once you've got them in your office, you continue with this fixed action pattern where everything that you say and do is sort of pre-programmed to get a response from someone who's buying something and it like follows a flow chart until you get them to sign on the dotted line. And uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the things that they, a salesperson, a good salesperson tries to do is to train you, if you're the customer, into saying yes. To train your brain into following the pattern that they want you to follow. And so the way they do that is they start nodding and they ask you easy to answer yes questions. Like, do you like to go on vacations to nice places? Yes. Do you like puppies? Yes. Do you like ice cream? Yes. Do you want to buy this car today? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, and they want you to say yes. And if you do that over the course of an hour or two hours, you get, it, it becomes more likely that someone will agree to the questions you're asking them as you're dealing with down payment, payment per month, financing, whatever the question is. And salespeople are, are, are taught, I mean, if they have a good sale, a general sales manager, they're taught these little techniques that work and because they've, they were discovered thousands of years ago and so we dramatize that in the movie suckers so i guess it's been a question is there such thing as an honest salesman nowadays well what does it mean right what do you what, what is the question is it um if the question is <laughs> to your partner um did you eat the last cookie there's a very specific yes or no honest question yes i did no i didn't but in a negotiation it's not that simple you want to get something for less and the salesperson wants you to pay more and if let's say you get what you want and you pay less you're taking money out of his pocket and if he gets you to say yes and pay the price he wants he's taking money out of your pocket this is the argument that the, uh, a good general sales manager will make. What's the difference? You're both trying to take money out of each other's pocket. So you come in 
forearmed as a, as a customer, for instance, with a certain amount of knowledge and ability, and the salesperson is armed with a certain amount of knowledge and ability. And of course, they're probably going to win. They're going to make money off of you because imagine you're going to play tennis against Andre Agassi. He's practicing every single day. You're practicing once every three years when you, you know, you're going to go buy a car, maybe every three, four or five years. He's got a lot more experience. And so a salesperson is going to make money. They're going to make money off of you because this is what they do and they're good at it. There are things you can do, though, as a, as a, as a customer, obviously, to increase your chances at paying a better price and getting a better deal. And I, actually, at the website for the film, I put a blog up with the do's and don'ts, what a customer should learn or should know before you go in to buy a car, and what a good salesperson should know. And I mean, primarily what you should know, if you're going in to buy a car, you should know, you should learn before you go in, find out what the dealer paid for that car. It's called the invoice price for the car and for every single optional item that you want on that car. So there's nothing left to chance. And then when you are dealing with them, you will say, then once you know what they paid, you can say, I will pay you this price, giving them maybe a $300 profit above the invoice price. They try to get you to start to pay retail or the sticker price. And they're trying to get you to beg for a discount. If you go in and know what they paid and um, try to get them to beg you to come up from the invoice price, it's a much stronger position than if you're begging for a discount from the invoice price. So it's called dealing from the top versus dealing from the bottom. As a, as a customer, you want to deal from the bottom. As a salesperson, you want to deal from the top. You want them to beg you to, to, to for a discount. And it sets you in a different psychological advantage or disadvantage if you understand this before you go in to buy a car. And you'll see this happening in the scenes in the in the movie. And I am a salesman's I am a salesman's dream come true. I fall for all that stuff. And I buy a bit <laughs> of useless crap because of it. So you know how it works, right? I'm I'm Oh, absolutely. I'm every marketer's dream too. The that, I buy everything. <laughs> See, I've, I'm a weird one. Um, being a sales guy and everything else, I'm, I'm literally the, the I'm, I'm part of both worlds. I, I love doing the sales. I love that reactionary point of when you get somebody who doesn't know something about a product, you get to teach them about that. And, you know, I mean, you, for the most part, you want to just show all the good points of it and, you know, downplay the small points, whatever else, and you move forward with it. But then being on the other side where me being a customer walking in, if I go in and I'm introduced to a sales guy who just doesn't really know his game very well, I'll just run circles around him and I'll usually end up going to buy from somebody else just because, well, he just didn't have the skill set. Um, but you get a guy who's really good at it, much like Eric, I can just get caught up in that and I'll be next thing you know, I'm just broke as a joke and I'm like, great, I got a bunch of crap I didn't need. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I think the trick is to... Like you're selling something, you know, I don't, I don't want to feel like you're selling me something. We're just having a chat. And if I end up buying something great. Yeah. Well, that's, that's another uh, one yeah. of the techniques. I think you're, about you to, mentioned to in a conversation into. we had a long time ago when the three of us were just, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now we were just talking about uh, wall street mm. in a conversation we had a long time ago. <laughs> I think the definitive salesman movie is Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. 
That is my uh, my favorite. Yeah, I would say that, if I had to pick a film that I idealized the most before making Suckers, I would say Suckers is kind of a cross between Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross meets Clerks about set in a car dealership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, such a great film. Well, they're both great. I've never actually even heard of that movie. Actually, with all your... I saw a play, uh, this is going back about 10 years ago now, I saw the... Uh, with Eric McCormack in the uh, Alec Baldwin role. Eric McCormack from Will and Grace. Oh. It's a little different oh. when you see it in the theater and versus he was in the, the movie. Alec Baldwin role. Well, I love the way David Mamet does his movies. Um, they almost feel... ...watching them. Uh, I think he's a genius at that. Yeah, he's, he's a master of dialogue. I'm just trying to look. I actually, you know what? I, there's this. There is. I, I've seen the scene. I've seen the clip of the um, of uh, of uh, Alec Baldwin doing his speech. To the guys. I didn't realize that was the name of that movie. How about that? I should have actually seen it. <laughs> no, it's great. You're gonna love it. And that's so funny. Movie making. If anyone's uh, interested, uh, State in Maine is probably the best movie about making a movie I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a great mammoth film. I think House of Games is among my favorites as well. Yeah, he's just an amazing writer. Um, so so let's, I'm curious. <laughs> I I'm very very curious about is uh, in Roswell um, because it just seems like it seems like if there wasn't the Alien Association, uh, they would still be weird. Uh, yeah, can, can you repeat the question? Actually, you cut out for a second. Oh, I'm cutting out again. I, uh, my, my question is just what, what it was like to be in Roswell, um, just because opinion, if, you, if the alien incident had never happened there, those people would still be weird. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's Americana and that's part of the focus of the film is weird Americana. And this town, Roswell, was known for nothing until about 1997 when they had this this big event, this big celebration of this alleged crash. There was an Air Force base there and that was part of what the town industry was. There's a bus factory. There's a cheese factory. And then it's all <laughs> desert. Not far from there, though, is what's known as the Trinity site, which is the site of the first atomic bomb test in history. And if right. you, you can go there and you can actually tour this site, you can go Jeez. look at where a bomb exploded and walk around there and look at the, how the, the sand of the desert was fused into glass by the heat of the atomic blast. So that when people started trying to figure out, well, why did aliens come to Roswell? They thought, oh, maybe it had something to, to do with the fact that we were testing atomic weapons and, and atomic energy not far from Roswell. And then they had a, you that know, they, they, they threw a rod in their spaceship and it crashed. Hmm. So here's something I've never understood. So in 1994, the U.S. government confirmed Sorry, Gord, I, I was talking over you there. Go so. ahead. Go for it. 
apparently. Yeah. In, in 94, the U.S. government confirmed that, in fact, there was no weather balloon. Um, now they're trying to say it was a U.S. spy balloon. Yeah, that's the most likely um, answer, is what that... Do, what do you what, think what, that... It was... Uh, what they were doing there, the U.S. government in the 40s, especially particularly like 1947, as World War II came to an end, and the U.S. began to see Russia as their most preeminent adversary, we were spying on the Russians, listening to the Russians, trying to gather data and intelligence, and one of the things that the government did was send up these very high-altitude balloons with listening devices for the purposes of listening into radio traffic and worldwide uh, communications. There were surveillance balloons, and one of these balloons, I mean, what goes up must come down, came down on a farm just outside of Roswell, New Mexico. And because the government was so paranoid of the Russians, when uh, some rancher who found little pieces of metal, which looked like uh, unexplainable metal, because these balloons are made out of very thin aluminum, he started saying, hey, I found something weird. Maybe it's a spaceship. And then the local newspaper ran with it and said, spaceship crashed. And so the government, being paranoid of the Russians, said, oh, that's a good cover. Let's run with that. Not knowing it would lead to this gigantic uh, folklore that would emerge many years later. They tried to, to, to walk it back soon after that. And uh, once they realized, well, that's kind of a ridiculous cover story to say aliens are coming here from another planet. <laughs> but that's the most likely explanation for what happened in Roswell. Of course, there's many other explanations that some people favor that there actually were aliens. <laughs> but um, that's the likeliest. So I have to ask. So, like, I've never fully understood the fascination with Roswell when you've got something like uh, the Battle of, of, of Los Angeles happened in, what, 1942. This was like an actual documented thing. There's, there's, there were thousands of eyewitnesses, lots of pictures, some phenomenal imagery shot of what happened of this. Eyewitness accounts, news stories, everything was all fully covered. And it's the information is still available and out there. You can still see everything else. And but yet, for some reason, aside from the fact it was made to a horrible fucking movie a few years ago, um, there's nobody really even knows that this even exists. But yet a supposed crash in the middle of the desert that there's zero proof of. And yet everybody's all over Roswell. I wonder what is it about Roswell that makes that lore stand out so much stronger than say like as the example the the battle of los Ange of los angeles yeah well, that's a great question and sometimes one narrative is more appealing to uh, the way we like our stories told than others and that's what catches on i mean why uh, why was why did the bible catch on because Constantine decided that it served his purposes when he wanted to unify his particular reign in the Roman Empire, and that led to Christianity becoming a dominant religion. Sometimes something catches the zeitgeist, or now we call it a meme, right? That, that term meme was invented by Richard Dawkins. Yeah. It's now, like a gene sorry, or I've, a I've virus. I've been dying to ask you, um, speaking of aliens, do you think... Humans, as we are now, are prepared for space travel. Do you think yeah. it's a good idea for us to be thinking of going to space in the next couple of years? It's, it's wishful thinking. 
and, and I mean, the realities of it um, are, don't line up with the fantasies that we see in movies and television. The reality is that it's very difficult uh, to live somewhere other than the Earth. We are evolved to live here. This is our Eden. This is where it's easy, where we have the food and the air. To lift ourselves and a spaceship and whatever else we want to pack in our suitcase off this planet and propel it to another planet or even further, another star, takes so much energy that it's virtually impossible to accomplish safely because not only do you have to accelerate to near the speed of light, so you can't go faster than the speed of light, that's what Einstein, uh, that's, that's what the, the special rule of relativity says, and, it's, and it hasn't been proven, disproven. You, not only do you have to accelerate to near light speed in order to get somewhere in a reasonable period of time, you have to then decelerate. So you've got to use an equal amount of propulsion and mass to slow yourself down. Very difficult, and uh, probably out of uh, the realm for at least the science we have now, without some breakthrough that we can't even, we still haven't even really imagined how it can happen. Like wormholes and things are all uh, narrative techniques that don't have any real likelihood that they could be, could, could actually happen. Uh, my, one of my prior films, The Six Days in Roswell, is about aliens, and space travel and i've been uh, enamored with the, the idea because i'm an avid reader of science fiction i love science fiction and wondering if we where we can go and if it's really possible but is it really i mean can we really go somewhere beyond this planet and um if and, and uh, here's a corollary question are aliens actually coming here and that's the whole basis of six days in roswell are they really coming here? And what's the likelihood? And the fact is that they probably aren't. And I'll give you the reasons why. First of all, it's the distances between planets and stars is gigantically vast. It's really hard for our brains, our pea brains, to, to grasp just how big it is. And it's getting further all the time because the universe is expanding. To go from our sun to, let's say, Alpha Centauri, which I think is seven light years, uh, it would take in immense resources to do so. So imagine that you're an alien civilization and you want to go somewhere, you want to go to another planet or another star system. You have to ask the question first, why would you want to do that? Why would they spend those vast resources to go somewhere like here? Well, first of all, they'd have to find us. We're like the needle in the haystack. And um, we've been listening. There's something called SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Um, to have it to track it on my computer. Um, and yeah. I would get updates if they heard anything. Well, they've heard nothing, right? The reports, are, <laughs> it's, it's silent. There's nothing, nothing out there. There's no signals. And partly because signals have to travel at the speed of light. Therefore, it would have to, first, if, if we heard a signal, from Alpha Centauri, that means it happened seven years ago. But most of the suns and worlds in our, let's take our galaxy, are hundreds of thousands of light years across. It would take 200,000 light, 200,000 years for a photon to travel from one side of our galaxy to the other. Similarly, a, a radio wave or any sort of, of energy. 
So the distances are vast, but let's say that they were going to do it. Let's say they found us and they were coming here. The only reason you would go somewhere to spend that amount of resources would be to colonize that other planet. Yep. Yeah, so if they came here, it'd be the worst possible thing for us because we would be like ants at the picnic at best. They, they just want to get rid of us. Uh, do you, what, what was I, I, I've always been of the belief, and this is just my personal belief, I don't know that people share it, I think if there are aliens on other worlds, I have no reason to believe they're more advanced than we are, so that, in my mind, they're, they'll just be at the same stage of the game that we are, and, and, and maybe they've gotten to their moon, or put a rover on their Mars or something, but I, I don't know that they're any better off than we are. Well, there's, a, there's something called the Great Filter. Have you, have you heard about that theory? I, no. I have not. The Great Filter says that probably a part of conscious, consciousness or an inherent property of matter may be the development of conscious beings like ourselves. But part of that um, being inherent in that particular, in, in an intelligence, is the fact that once we become intelligent enough to discover technology that can destroy ourselves, we're likely to, to push that button. Some idiot's going to push the button once you build it. So that's oh, definitely. probably the reason we haven't seen any aliens is because it's a natural progression for intelligence to destroy itself. And that is, you know, it's funny you should say that. That's the, the, uh, the plot line, basically. That's the basis of an animated movie I'm making about Gordon myself. <laughs> well, that's more of a documentary than on reality, because that's probably what's happening. So you don't think that aliens would, say, see us? Like, say, you know, they can come up and take a little distance. Okay, let's take a look at these guys from a distance. We'll watch them. You don't think they see us, and they just say, okay, we know where these guys are on the evolutionary chain, and they're either just going to annihilate themselves, or they're going to smarten up, and they'll flip it around. We'll give them 100 years, and we'll come back, and we'll just see where they are sitting. Like, you don't think it's anything like that? No, there's no going back and forth. If you're going somewhere, it's a one-way trip. And so if they're coming here, they're coming here to live, probably on a multi-generational ship of some kind. And uh, just because you have to consider the vast amount of resources. Look at like the, the heavy lift rocket that they're launching recently or uh, SpaceX, um, the Falcon Heavy. They're gigantic rockets because you've got to get from here to there. You've got to expel a certain amount of matter that's equivalent to the mass that you're lifting, and you've got to keep accelerating it. And, ex and so that means you've got to keep expelling mass. You've got to have some kind of mass to expel to propel yourself, your payload, and, to, and ideally you want to accelerate at one gravity or whatever the gravity of your, the planet you're leaving so it's comfortable for you. You want a continuous one gravity acceleration that takes an enormous amount of energy and so how, how they're baffled they don't know how to our scientists don't know how to do that yet how to figure that out how to make that happen and and let's see it, it, let's say an alien uh, intelligence figures out a way to do that it's still a, an immense amount of of energy that they have to expel to get here why, why would you do that if you didn't plan to stay also, something that uh, they don't talk about very often, and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Chris Hadfield, very famous Canadian astronaut who spent time on the uh, space station. He was the longest, uh, he spent the longest amount of time on the International Space Station. 
Um, And when he came back, his body was a mess. His bones were soft. He was a disaster. It's like, it's not like a healthy experience. Um, I I can't see the average person. And those, those people train their whole lives for one mission. Um, We're probably generations away from the average Joe being prepared to do something like that. If not, not just physically, but even mentally, I think it would be, it's, we, we haven't figured out how to handle uh, this scandemic. I don't think we can handle going to space psychologically. <laughs> now, so you know what would happen? The most likely scenario is if a, an alien spaceship did come here, or if we sent one somewhere, it would probably be a robot or an AI that could handle thousands of years in space without going oh, insane or losing body or losing bone mass or all the other problems. Uh, getting pummeled by space dust and, you know, our bodies are easily destroyed and harmed, but uh, a robot can potentially repair itself back to new. That's probably what it would be. And they absolutely terrify me. Uh, last year, they, a, a computer called AlphaGo Zero actually turned itself on and taught itself chess and beat. Uh, it's not Deep Blue. I don't think it's, it's one more advanced than Deep Blue. But anyway... AlphaGo Zero turned itself on, taught itself chess, and beat the reigning chess master. That is horrifying to me. I, I don't like that we have that kind of intelligence. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to be such a harbinger of doom. I know you guys like such rosy stories and, and optimistic pictures, but that's not what I'm giving you tonight. <laughs> well, Gord, Gord's all for the destruction of the planet. I'm. Oh, I'm so uh, cheering for that. I'm. I'm predicting it in the in the short uh, animated film I'm making about me and Gord, where we it's in the future and humans have moved on. We're all robots now. We live on a robot planet, and Earth's a horrible place to be. <laughs> There's uh, a book. Um, uh, I just read a book. You might find this interesting. It's called uh, Homo Deus, and it's about what the future of mankind is, and that we will probably become godlike in the next next stage of, of homo sapiens what's next for us probably some kind of godlike version of ourselves that are augmented in ways that make us into a, a essentially a cyborg a human and ai uh combination and it's I mean, that would mean the end of homo sapiens as we know it because we, we would be replaced by some superior mechani- mechanized version of ourselves and that's where we're headed right now I mean, if you look at your iPhone or your cell phone, imagine that becoming made the size of something that that could fit on the head of a pin and then put inside your brain. We're not that far off from that. We're really not. And it's terrifying. Um, It's it's a bittersweet thing for me, because on one hand, I fully don't intend to ever die. Um, I have the opposite of a do not resuscitate clause. Um, it's a, always just <laughs> resuscitate, do what, keep me plugged in, do whatever it takes. Uh, eventually they will cure whatever it is I have. Just keep me plugged in, in a corner somewhere. Um, I'm not sure they can, can cure, uh, personality disorders though. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, the technology scares the bejesus out of me. I don't want robots. I don't like them. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know how to how to reconcile that in my mind because I, I I do want like any artificial means to keep me alive absolutely but um, I've always said like they they held a symposium years ago where they were trying to come up with a uh, 
a uh, like charter of rights and freedoms for robots. Um, should they become, should they be declared a race so that they get the same, like freedoms can be, or, or rights, they can be given rights. And I've always said, if they become a race, I'll, I'll be very, very racist the next day. Because I just, I don't like robots and I, I don't think I would get along well with them. That's such an interesting uh, question, because what if you created an, an intelligence, an artificial intelligence, that was essentially conscious of itself and would feel pain or discomfort at the idea of you turning it off? Because once it becomes aware of itself, much like you, it would, would want to continue to be around. Then would we have any right to turn it off? Because it would be like extinguishing a consciousness. Absolutely. I, that's, that's a question I can't answer. I can't even get to the, uh, the morals of it. That's a, that's a scary thing. Again, a topic for the very involved comedic film I'm writing for Gordon and I. Can't wait to see this thing. It is about um, a war, a futuristic war, where um, we send drones out. And it's all drones. There's no more humans fighting. But when the drones come back, we, uh, Amazon, which is the biggest company in the world, gives them all jobs as delivery drones. Uh, that was their promise if they, if they made it back from the war. And then all of a sudden, humans just start getting picked off left and right, and they can't figure out who's doing it. It turns out these drones suffer from PTSD. And we didn't think it was possible for them to uh, be self-aware like that or, or, or feel those kind of emotions. So. We just thought they would be fine, and they weren't. And then Amazon tries to cover it up by framing Gord for blowing up the Earth. <laughs> you had to destroy the Earth to save the Earth. Exactly. That's the excuse I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know, so, I, Eric and I have actually talked about like the, that next sort of step in human evolution in the sense. And personally, like, you know, it came up as a topic with us when we were discussing um, how you know, like the idea of if you were to basically lab grow a baby um, and you can customize it to whatever you want, free of this disease, that disease, this color hair, this color eyes, I want them to grow to be this tall, whatever it might be. Um, I personally, I mean, if I had the means and the opportunity, I would absolutely do that instead of taking the risk of just a natural birth where, you know, so many things could go wrong. If I could just pre-order that, hey, why not? It makes my life easier. Um, and then which also makes them in hopes would eventually get them to evolve quicker than what where I am because they will have less of, I guess, of those precursors that comes with, with a natural human. Um, so I, for one, actually look forward to the next stage of that bit of evolution, uh, the mixing of the two. I think those precursors are necessary. I think they're part of the evolution. And if you try to skip those steps, you're going to come up with a weaker being. You know, well, it's, it's like steel. Over faster. <laughs> you, love, you love knives. Your steel, if your steel is not hot-pressed properly, if you skip a few steps, then you come up with shitty steel. And yeah, the until the next evolution of steel comes along. And that's just this, where you get the cold infusion of steel, which exists eliminates a whole lot of extra treatments costs a lot more money for the technology but it does exist um i just think that the next i think that humans as far as we are i think we've peaked i don't think we're going to get any better than this 
Uh, I think we're at this point, if we don't evolve to the next stage, I think we are going to start devolving. Oh, we absolutely are. And I'd like to bring Roger in on that talk because I've always agreed with Nietzsche that uh, we have to get basically to, to paraphrase, we have to get sick before we get better. Um, and I, I think we see it happening. Roger, where do you think we, what would be the next step in evolution for us? Well, sadly, evolution means that if there is a next step, that means we have to go away because the next step is an improvement on us. It's different from us. And that's right. what happens. And we are devolving in a sense where, where the less intelligent people reproduce faster than the intelligent people. You see that happening naturally well, because intelligent people put off uh, having children much longer than people who don't, let's say you don't go to college, you probably are having children sooner than if you do go to college. And over time, yes. that adds up. We have an, an average intelligence level that's affected by that. But if there is, let's say that somebody has a baby that's superior to us, and you see that in movies, you know, mutant movies where mutants are born, and then the... Uh, people who are not mutant feel threatened and then want to stamp out these superior beings because that means we have to go away and then you've got we've got warfare well that's what we've always done though we 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 do that with just different races of ourselves well we um, did that with uh, cro-magnon you know and uh, there was actually um i think something like six or seven different types of humans that existed 50 to 100, 200,000 years ago. We are the ones, Homo sapiens are the ones that survived. We stamped out all the others eventually. And, and some of them, inter, we interbred with some of them. So you see that, you can find the, that's one reason they know that there were these different versions of humans because they can find remnants, genetic remnants. One was called the Denisovans and they, primarily were in the Australia, New Zealand area of the world, and they were distinctly different. Yeah, they were distinctly different from Homo sapiens sapien. They but still are. They were close enough that we could interbreed. And so we did. And so some you can see some people still have the pieces of them that and that are carried forward. That is exactly how I've always described Australians. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's not a, it's not a great thing, you know. Yeah, evolution means we go away. That's the the hard right. part, and then some new thing replaces us. And with the way the world's going right now, I support this. I look forward to seeing our new leaders or our new, would... new species that replace us. If they need uh, a knife sharpened, let me know before I go. <laughs> as long as they're not Trump supporters, I'm in. <laughs> yeah well you know these are fascinating questions and these are the type of questions that that keep me uh, engrossed long enough to finish a film about generally and uh, you know i made uh, you know six days in roswell is about aliens and uh, the truth about marriage is about relationships trekkies you know even that's got space it's related to space so uh, it's, uh, maybe my next documentary will, will be about uh, AI and whether uh, or not we should unplug you guys when you're both on life support. Um, yeah, I, I, that's, go it, for it. <laughs> it's a very 
it's a fascinating question. I'm, I'm glad I get to be kind of a part of it because I'm, well, hopefully, <laughs> I'd like to think. Um, like, I, I think probably the next 50 years are going to be hopefully very exciting. They're either going to be exciting or we're just going to degenerate into chaos, but. Some of both, probably. Uh, I would think so. And uh, not to get too too serious about it, but what do you think about the state of your country right now and the, the direction it's going in? Is this going to continue, do you think? are you? Yeah, we need a new president, and hopefully we'll have one soon because um, there's not uh, – the leadership is lacking, shall we say. Exactly. And it's uh, We have a chaos agent who's currently in charge, and chaos is very tiring. I'd like to go back to boredom, a little bit of political boredom for a while. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Joe Biden is definitely going to unite Americans a little bit, because I think every single American kid agree they don't like Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, the more boring, the better. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> Bring it on. You know, well, um, I, I used to work with a lady who was a telecommunications specialist. Um, she got to work for some massive organizations where it started just with the forms of media, um, how to like, you know, using certain colors in certain stores and certain patterns and commercials. And then her knowledge ended up evolving farther into when it comes into like speech patterns. And one of the most interesting conversations I had with her about this was when she talked about, um, Obama president, uh, former president Obama's speeches. And the fact of, you know, he would be saying specific words and phrases that to the 99.99% of the population, you would just hear the words he's saying and think this is what he's saying. But he's actually talking about something completely different. He's specifically speaking to certain people. Um, and it was uh, terrifying for her to listen to, um, to a lot of his speeches because she actually knew the real meaning behind of what these speeches actually meant. Um, then you get, you know, Trump that shows up and just, you know, monkey wrenches the whole plans because he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about anyway. Um, but that was something like the Mandela effect, I think. Yeah. Um, the, but uh, I always thought that that whole concept of, I guess, uh, using, you know, like speak, speech manipulation um Fuck, I had a whole point to this. My brain just melted on me. Well, it brings huh? us back to sales techniques and manipulation. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about trying to get people to do what you want them to do. Yeah. Um, so I guess when it comes into, like, for America, for the two, for who to choose for president, like, I mean, Eric and I have discussed the living crap out of the story. I mean, I think either choice, I think America is absolutely ruined no matter which one they choose. Um, I see no good coming from Biden. I see absolutely no good coming from Trump. Um but I guess it comes down to it's a sad state of affairs when a vote comes down to the lesser of two evils and not who's better for anything. Right. Well, it's a it's a binary choice. You have to choose one. Otherwise, you're you're letting everybody else choose. And uh, we've seen what happens with a chaos agent in charge. And I don't know that we can handle I don't know that I can handle another four years of, of continuing chaos. But how much of it is really chaos and not just manipulation from media? Well, uh, I would say that Trump is reactionary. He doesn't have plans or policies. He reacts to what he sees on TV, and then that becomes the thing of the day. 
Yeah, it's very There's no true. strategy. Like the Chinese have long-term strategies. The Russians have a strategy. The Germans have, have political strategies and international policy. We have none of that right now because uh, the guy in charge doesn't, can't think beyond what's in front of his nose right now on television. I uh, just, uh, I'll throw out my theory there again because I know fans, are, they, they like my, uh, my predictions. This is my prediction for 2020. I think Joe Biden gets elected and he steps down before he's inaugurated in January. And they put someone else in, whether it's Kamala or I think they put in Kamala and then she's replaced by a man. And you end up sometime next year with a male president who is not Joe Biden. That's my prediction. <laughs> well, it's certainly uh, possible that Kamala Harris will, will be elevated to the presidency at some point before the next four year term is over. If Biden wins, that's certainly a, a, a possibility. 100%. Where, where are you? I have to ask just because you're probably the most intelligent guy we ever speak to. Um, where are you on QAnon? <laughs> it's sad if I'm the most intelligent one, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Trust QAnon, me, it's, it's fully agreed. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, QAnon is the same category as religion or Scientology. Show me some evidence. If you're making wild claims, you're going to need some strong evidence. And there's no evidence. It's just some no, lunatic sure. tweeting or, you know, it, where's the evidence? There is none. No, I like, they're, they're the same people that I know who subscribe to the QAnon theory are also flat earthers. So, and like ones that genuinely believe it. Yeah, um, well, you know, if you think the earth is flat, uh, I, I, I don't feel like I'm stepping out on a limb to say you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I have flown on airplanes. <laughs> but did you bring a level with you? Because, you know, if you bring a level, that shows the Earth is... Fuck, I couldn't even say the sentence. Yeah. You know, yeah, flat earthers is... is they're dum-dums. Is that a good word? Yeah, that's the nicest word. I don't know how many of them are, are being genuine or how many are just pranking us, but... <laughs> It's a weird time to be alive, and that's that's what I mean. So if we don't degenerate into just uh, either the characters from Idiocracy, or uh, <laughs> or just end up eliminating ourselves through some silly war, um, are the right minds headed in the right direction? Do you think, or, or like, is Elon Musk the the great savior of the human race? Well. Uh... I, yes, you know, may you live in exciting times. We certainly do. And it's very interesting to see what's going to happen next. And it's amazing to watch what technology is discovered next and invented and perfected. It's fascinating. The, the, uh, uh, the fiction that's being written. There's great, there are great books, fiction and nonfiction. There's so much fascinating. I mean, I, I devour knowledge and books and i can't get enough and i can't wait to see what is next and elon musk is a guy who's he thinks like um uh, he comes from silicon valley and so he thinks differently from the uh traditional car companies because i mean that's why he's destroying them essentially yeah. he's created a whole new paradigm a whole new way to approach mobility and 
we are reluctant to change. We're, we don't like change. Conservatives hate change, particularly. Liberals are much more willing and excited by change. And that's one right. of the distinctions. And I love to uh, try new things and travel new places and try to shake things up. And, and I, don't, I don't want things to stay the same. But I also don't want us to destroy ourselves. And I believe it's important that we conserve our resources and not uh, pollute and needlessly destroy. I mean, I, I'm a big fisherman. I love going fishing in Ontario every year, every chance I get. And it just saddens me when I see clear cutting or yeah. garbage left behind or overfishing. You know, we have to be smart about what we have. And there are many Christian sects who believe that this was all given to us by God and we're supposed to use it up because it's, we're going to get a new world. But I, I don't think that's a smart way to handle what we have. I think we need to take better care of it. Anybody who thinks that way can absolutely uh, go to Amazon and buy my book, The Only Bad Thing That Ever Happened at the Bourbon Hotel. And um, <laughs> it's, everything is explained in that book. Um, so we're on the same page, guys, I think. And so, but I'm, I tend to be an optimist. I think the future is very bright, but full of a lot of bumps. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. What is the future, then, of filmmaking for you? What's the... Uh, I'm finishing up a, a documentary for Showtime called The Comedy Store, and it's about the history of this famous comedy club in Los Angeles that's going to premiere on Showtime. I have actually performed at The Comedy Store. Oh, wow. You're going to love Believe this then. Yeah. It, it was uh, 2000, I want to say 2008. Uh, so a, a lifetime ago, basically. Well, that's but, what's yeah, next. I to go on tour. That's what's I'll next. And, uh, um, I'm really excited, you know, to be restoring some of my older films like Six Days in Roswell and Suckers. So please, anyone who's listening, please check out those films on Vimeo, on demand, or on uh, Blu-ray. You can get it on, on Amazon, wherever your favorite uh, store is. It's and, on Vimeo. That's good to know. Sorry, I didn't hear that the first time around. Yeah, I, you can stream it I today. Just it just today. I just accidentally paid $300 for a Vimeo subscription that I didn't know I was buying. <laughs> so that works very well for me. I, I, Roger, I, I do the free trials online. You know, you get the seven-day free trial uh, for things, apps and whatnot. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's free if you cancel. I never cancel. <laughs> I'm going to start Man. sending you miscellaneous bills in the mail and just start collecting money for my retirement. You absolutely could. And I'd probably fall for it for a very long period of time before I realized. And that's there's hand in hand with technology. I've got everything direct deposit, direct withdrawal. I have no idea how much money I have or who's taking it. <laughs> All you know is it's not much. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not as much as I would like. Um, <laughs> I just know seeing that dash in front of my numbers keeps getting really frustrating. Is that a negative <laughs> son of a bitch? That's not supposed to be like that. <laughs> yeah, turn that around. Right? <laughs> Get that I have to ask, a, a documentary about the comedy store, that must have been amazing to, to be a part of. Oh, it's hilarious. So yeah, it's, it's got all the greatest comedic minds of the last 40 years that all came through there in, in the film. Oh, my God. That's... that's I think this is probably one of the most necessary documentaries to be made because the history, just the history alone 
of who has been up on that stage is just it's mind bending. Like every like all the biggest names, just everybody's been up there. It's incredible. It is nerve wracking to yeah. to do to do seven minutes on that stage and just know the other feet that stood there. Mm. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, Stand up in general is terrifying. It's it's very difficult to do well, and uh, as as these comedians all will attest to in the documentary, it's a lot of people think they're going to dabble in comedy, and the thing is, it takes ten years or more to really become a good comic. And those ten years are seven nights a week, usually two shows a night if you can find them, and you're just you're constantly working. I couldn't keep up. That's one of the reasons I I don't do it any longer. Is I just yeah. couldn't keep the maintain the schedule you need to stay relevant because comedy is just like any other form of entertainment. If you're not in everybody's face all the time, you're really easily forgotten. It's so true. Yeah, it's like anything though. If you want to be good at it, you have to do it every day. Be and and you know get your ten thousand hours in. This is yeah. why Eric and I do so many podcast episodes because otherwise they keep forgetting who the hell he is. Well, of course. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to get good at it. Eventually, uh, one of these days, <laughs> if I could get a GD internet signal that would work. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got it to work, guys. I'm, it's been, as always, I enjoy, love talking to you. Oh, I love talking to you too. And I'm very excited for the two movies. I didn't get to see them yet because I was in the process of moving um, just as we started talking again. So uh, that's going to be my weekend because I, I got out. the Vimeo yeah, subscription. You're going to love it. Um, how do how do people just watch? Do you need to sign up for Vimeo to watch them, or is there a, do you just go there and watch them? I'm not sure how that works. You, well, you should actually be able to sign up for Vimeo for free and watch films. And if you choose a film that's on demand, it's just like Amazon. It works like Amazon. You can you can uh, stream it for whatever the cost is for that for that individual film. Okay, that makes sense. So everybody do that. <laughs> Or uh, is it? It's Roger Nygaard uh, Productions or Blink Movies on Vimeo Please. on Demand. It's where it is now. Uh, both films, Suckers and Six Days in Roswell, and uh, they'll both be on Amazon. Uh, also in uh, about another month and a half. Oh, perfect. Uh, um, we just interviewed a guy from uh, Albuquerque here on the show. And he was just a mental case. I can't imagine what being in Roswell was like. Um, have you been back since, since you made the movie? I went back once it was finished and did a screening there for, for everybody, for the locals. And, and they loved it. Really? There, it just seems like an interesting, I've never been to New Mexico. I'd love to go. It just seems like such an interesting place everywhere. South of like, well, for us, everywhere south of like Oregon is interesting. So Roswell is a great place to visit. They've got a I mean, year round. They've got the Roswell Alien Museum, and the whole town is is gone has gone alien crazy. You can get everything from alien beer to alien beef jerky. Wow, <laughs> alien jerky—that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what of the ingredients. <laughs> I don't think they are either. Just like like most American fast food, it's better not to know. Yeah. Right. Just just, just, just take your chances and enjoy it. <laughs> just smile and drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gord, do you have anything you want to throw in? Because I know you're just you're uh, you love last sandwiches. chance. Yep. Last call. Here we go. Oh my last god! Yeah, final put, round. Yeah, put me on the fucking spot. This is what's always good for me. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, 
you know, like, like literally, I'm actually really happy with how everything's gone because I think we pretty much covered a lot of the stuff that I did. A lot of the topics I'd love to talk about, and especially when it comes up to the next stage of human evolution, that's a that's a fun one for me to discuss because I love how it freaks out, um, you know, other people. Um, but to have that uh, great discussion with you guys was uh, was just that was a, that was icing on the cake for me. So I got I got fuck all of that. <laughs> well by the next time we speak we might all be extinct and some new species will have taken our place exactly and hopefully uh, they'll come be. up with a better question than me they, they might be more entertaining um <laughs> and you guys didn't get your fishing trip together this year because the stupid border's closed yeah oh i know i'm so sad and I gotta tell you, man, I've found found some pretty. There's a few decent fishing holes up and around, even around this area specifically, and just in my town of Milton. But uh, there's lots of places we can go to check out. I will be back as soon as the borders are opened. Nice. I think the way they're playing that, that'll be in like five years. For fuck's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my the way I look at it is that hopefully next year, because there's been an entire year where the border's closed, the the, la the lakes are going to be the fish are going to forget what uh, a lure looks like next year, and it's going to be a, a free for all. Yeah, I I'm definitely going under that uh, that hope and assumption myself. <laughs> my wow. friend Chris, who's an avid fisherman, he st he still doesn't have all that much luck. He's still the master of catching bait. <laughs> I can't. I'm so happy I called him out for that. Fuck Tell me. him to fish to the structure. Look for the submerged island, and that's where the fish are. Well, he's he's good for, like he's he's probably the greatest caster on the planet. I, this guy can, like like we had we saw we were like about thirty five forty feet away from this uh, dock, and the guy had his boat lifted up out of the water, and uh, he was shooting his mouth off about how good he is at at uh, at casting. So I'm like, all right. I said, hit the prop with the one face in the bottom, and the Pastor did it, and you can point to anything. So he's got the accuracy. It's just he just doesn't have the skill to deliver. <laughs> I well, I I still say it's all just luck. Yeah, I, I don't I know there's say, any skill. I would say that about you guys. You also have the accuracy. Well, I thank you. I we just take some pride in that. We don't have the skill. <laughs> <laughs> We're out there fishing with an empty hook. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Listen, guys, it's been great. It. It's been great chatting. It has been great. Let's do it thank again. Thank you so much. I certainly hope so. Thanks so much for joining us, and thank you for being so patient. I promise we'll figure something out for the next time. <laughs> I will be uh, pl pleasantly surprised when that happens. So will we. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go ahead and stick around for a minute, if you yes, will. Yes, sir. All yeah. right. Bye, guys. All right. Thanks, Roger. Thank Have a great night. Thank you so much, buddy. Wow. <laughs> Another... That was great. I will stop uh, recording. That was fantastic. I hope I can piece together something great. I feel like such a moron right now. It's not even fucking funny. <laughs>